comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. Listen now for God's word to you. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to Jesus, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At that time, at the time of the dinner, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the servant returned and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you order has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the roads and the lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I heard a a story not too long ago about a pastor who was new to his congregation, and he was invited over to meet with one of the pillars of that faith community, someone who uh, at that point was a shut-in, couldn't really make it to church anymore. And so he uh, went over to visit with her, and she invited him in, and they sat down in the living room, and they began to talk for a little while. And and while they were sitting there, the pastor was just absentmindedly eating some peanuts out of a little glass jar on one of the side tables there in the living room. And he kept doing that throughout the whole conversation. And, and finally, the conversation ended, and he realized that he had eaten all of the peanuts out of that glass jar. And he was greatly embarrassed. He wanted to make a good impression on this church member. And he said, he apologized to her profusely and says, I'm so sorry, I seem to have eaten all of your peanuts. And she says, that's okay, I don't have any teeth, and so I can't chew, so I normally just suck the chocolate off of them. Food. It's one of the things I first wanted you all to know about me back in those days when I was being introduced to you as your next pastor. And luckily for me, that wasn't a story about me. That wasn't me hiding the story. I I haven't gotten myself in any situations quite uh, like that. But good food is one of my great passions. And back in the days, almost two years ago now, if you can believe it was almost two years ago, when the pastor nominating committee was planning my visit out here to to see the area and to have the in-person interview, uh, one of the things I told them that I wanted to do is I wanted to know where all of the good restaurants in the area were. And so give me your recommendations of the, bless, the best places to eat, they said, I said. And, and they gave some really good recommendations. Those are places that, I, that Heather and I still go to quite a bit. Um, good food, it's one of my great passions. As my, my dad says to me, I don't eat to live, I live to eat. Um, or when I go on vacation, I have to always try the, place, the places that that area is known for, the, the local specialties. Or in the words of the comedian Jim Gaffigan, vacation for me is just eating in a new place. Um, <laughs> but since I've moved here to the Detroit area, we have found all of our favorite spots for those local specialties, the shawarma, the coney dogs, the, the Detroit-style pizza, although I have to apologize to all you native Detroiters. I am from Chicago, and I'm a pizza snob. 
deep dish Chicago style pizza is better to me than Detroit style pizza. And I know that might be a little controversial in this group, but you'll forgive me. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. Luckily for me, there's a spot down the road from here in Southfield that serves pretty authentic Chicago-style deep-dish pizza. Food. Jesus seems to always either be eating or talking about food. It's one of the things that I, I love about him. At the very beginning of his ministry, just as Jesus is gathering people around himself, he, he's sitting together, he's been invited to this dinner party with these kind of unsavory characters. These people that no respectable person is supposed to be eating with, tax collectors and other so-called outcasts and sinners. And, and, and they say to him, Jesus, why don't you fast like we fast? Why don't you deny yourself the way that John the baptizer denied himself? And Jesus' answer to them is that while I'm here, while God's anointed one is here, it's a celebration and everyone is supposed to be eating. And they accuse him of being a, 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 a glutton and a drunkard. Uh, Jesus' first miracle recorded in the Gospel of John is at a wedding. It's the reception, and then everything's going great, the dancing's going great, and then suddenly the wine runs out, which is a great social embarrassment in that culture and that society. And, and so the, the host of the, of the wedding goes to Jesus' mother, Mary, and asks if Jesus can do anything about it, and Jesus at first resists. But then Jesus decides to do something about it, and Jesus' first miracle in the Gospel of John is tending bar at a wedding. He turns the water into wine, and not just any wine, but the really good wine, the top shelf stuff, and the, the wedding celebration continues. There, of course, is that story where Jesus is standing on the hillside preaching to a crowd of what it says is 5,000 men. It's a patriarchal society. They didn't count the women and the children. Um, so a, a crowd of ten to 15,000 people, he's preaching to them, and he's preaching all day long, and and the disciples, their stomachs start to growl. The sun starts to set in the, the sky. And they're like, Jesus, it's getting late. Why don't you send the crowds away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and get something to eat? But Jesus knows it's a, a desolate place. There's not a whole lot of places around for them to go get something to eat. And so Jesus says to his disciples, you feed them. And his disciples look confused at each other and say, it would take several months' wages to feed this crowd. Jesus says, how much food do you have with you? And they say, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. So where, Jesus, where these disciples see scarcity, Jesus sees a possibility. He prays, he gives thanks to God for what is there, and he takes that food and he starts to share it with everyone there. And I think what happens in that story is everyone, seeing that initial act of generosity, decides to share what they have. And every person gets enough. And with Jesus, there is always more than enough, right? Always more than enough, isn't there? There are 12 basketfuls of bread that are left over. And then, of course, on the last night of his life, Jesus sits together with his disciples in an upper room, and he says, whenever you get together, the way that you remember me, the way you remember my love and my grace, is you celebrate a meal together. You take the bread and you take the cup. Carbs and wine, that's how Jesus tells us to remember him. Could anything be better than that? Of course, we've turned it into the little to-go cups, right, with the grape juice and the bread. And... <laughs> but the symbol's still there, right? That, that, that's the way that we're supposed to remember Jesus. We gather together, we celebrate a meal with each other. Jesus is always either talking about food, using symbology of food, or eating. Jesus is my kind of guy. And that's exactly where we find Jesus once again here this morning. 
that Jesus has been invited over as a guest to the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. Uh, this happens quite a bit in the Gospels. Jesus is invited over to the house of the Pharisees to share in a meal. And, and this particular meal takes place on the Sabbath. Uh, this is sort of like Sunday dinner. Think of that in your kind of imaginations as Sunday dinner. And, and Jesus has been invited over. And the Pharisees are these constant conversation partners with Jesus. They're always kind of debating about what, how the, the religious life should be applied and what's allowed, what isn't allowed. And one of the big contentions between Jesus and this group of religious leaders is whether or not it's okay to heal on the Sabbath. Remember, the Sabbath is a day of rest, a day where everyone takes a break from working. And, and in their mind, healing should not take place on the Sabbath. But it seems like Jesus always finds those who are suffering in body, mind, or spirit on the Sabbath, on the day where, where healing is not supposed to take place. But, but Jesus is always challenging the Pharisees on that point. That healing, there is no better day for healing in Jesus' mind than on the Sabbath day. While everyone else is resting, Jesus finds those who are struggling and often heals them. And that's exactly what happens at this dinner party. This, a man walks in with a physical ailment and Jesus asks that question, is it okay or not to heal on the Sabbath? course, Jesus does that. He heals the man right there in that dinner party with the Pharisee's house. But while this man is struggling, Jesus also notices something else is happening at this dinner party. The guests who have been invited, they're all looking for the seats of honor, the best places in the house. And Jesus says to them, whenever you're invited over, practice a little bit of humility. Don't look for the best seats, but look for the lowliest of ones. And when you throw a dinner party, don't just invite over the rich and the powerful, the ones that can return the favor to you, but invite over the poor, the lame, the outcast, the ones that nobody loves. And that's when Jesus tells this parable, this final parable in this sermon series we've been looking at, the parables of the kingdom. He talks about a, a man who's throwing a great dinner party, uh, everything's been set up, the, 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 the good silverware and the dishes have been brought out, the menu's been set, little centerpieces have been made, but the only thing that's missing are the guests. And so this man has his servant go out and invite people to come and to join in the feast, and, and every person he invites has an excuse. And really, we can understand their excuses. The first one says, well, I've just bought a piece of land and I need to go and check it out. And we've heard throughout this sermon series just how much of a commodity land can be. You've got to make sure it's always being productive. The second person says, well, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I've invested in my property. I need to go and make sure that they're working and producing. And then the third one says, well, I've just gotten married and I'm enjoying newlywed bliss so I can't be there. Please accept my apologies. But perhaps there's something else going on in the background too. There's a sort of social pressure that maybe results in this, them checking no on the RSVP box. Because in that society, in that culture, the expectation is, is that when you threw a dinner party for somebody and they were invited over, they would return the favor to you. There was this kind of give and take. This, that they would, that's why you only invited people who were within your own social circle and your own social class, people who had the means to return that to you. And perhaps we can understand a little bit of that social pressure, right? We experience some of that too, right? Someone does something nice for us. We have this sort of expectation we place upon ourselves to return that favor. 
We can also understand the pressure that these other guests are, that were invited are, are feeling, these other people who were invited are feeling that the sort of familial and the financial obligations, our lives are busy, we work hard, and at the end of the day, we get home, the last thing we want to do is to go out, at least those of us who are introverts, right? We are busy, we have our kids, we have our grandkids, and sometimes an invitation feels like just another thing on the calendar, just another thing in our already busy and packed full lives. But I think what these three guests who said no missed is that this host is not inviting them over because he expects anything in return. He's not inviting them over because he wants to add more pressure and more things to their already busy lives. But he's inviting them over to simply come and to be and to find this place a belonging, to experience goodness and abundance, to experience love. And the reason why I see that in this story is because of what happens, this little absurd turn that happens in the parable. Remember, there's always an absurd turn in Jesus' parables. What happens is that the host then starts inviting people who could never, ever return the favor. People who are outside of his own social class, the poor, the lame, the crippled, people who are beyond his own ethnic category. He says that go to the, the highways and the byways and invite everyone in that you find. That this is a, a feast of belonging, a feast of abundance, a feast where there is more than enough room for everybody. What is the kingdom of God like? We've been asking that question again and again throughout this sermon series. What does the kingdom of God look like? According to Jesus, the kingdom of God looks like this, this extravagant and abundant banquet where everybody is invited, where everyone has room, where there is more than enough for everybody there. A banquet where everybody is invited, not just those people that we like, but the people we might wonder, how in the world did you get invited to? People who are not only within our own social class and social circle, but people who are beyond the boundaries of our own experience. Everyone is invited to this wedding or to this banquet, to this celebration, to this dinner. What is the kingdom of God like? To me, it looks a lot like our celebration of communion. However often you're here for that, whether it's twice a month in the summertime or once a month at the 11 o'clock or once a week at the 9 o'clock, however often we celebrate communion, that's what the kingdom of God looks like to me, an invitation that is offered and extended to you, no matter who you are or where you come from, your life experiences, your faith backgrounds. Invited, not because I've invited you here, or the church, or the presbytery, the denomination, but because Christ has invited you here. It is one of the most meaningful moments of my ministry to watch all of you come forward at that invitation to receive the gifts of God, to know that there is a place that has been made for you here. It is your place. I think what Jesus is doing in this story is he's helping us to reimagine the world around us, to, to reimagine the world around this idea that there is a, a banquet and everybody is invited, that there is more than enough there's more than enough room, there's more than enough love, there's more than enough grace. I think that's what Jesus has always been doing with these parables of the kingdom, helping us to reimagine the world around us. And so this, this parable looks a lot to me like what's called speculative fiction within the literary world. Um, so speculative fiction is this really broad genre, and it includes a lot of different categories within literature, and it's really hard to define, but I'm going to try anyway because I'm a preacher. Um, <laughs> 
Speculative fiction, you'll find it a lot in things like science fiction or fantasy or alternative history. You'll find it in dystopian novels to things like George Orwell's 1984, Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale or the Hunger Games trilogy. And, and so what happens in speculative fiction is that the author or the poet is taking the world as we know it and imagining something that is outside of what we've all experienced and putting it into the story and saying, how would we react? What if this happened? As one author says, whenever we are imagining the world as free from pain or war or injustice, we are engaging in this act of speculative fiction. We are imagining the world as a little bit different than it is in this moment. Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom of God in parables, I think is always helping us to speculate, to reimagine the world around us. What if Jesus seems to always be asking what if seeds of love were not just sown into the good soil, but along the, the hard and worn down pathways and the thorny places in our world? What if we practiced forgiveness? What would the, the world look like if the five o'clock workers also received good things? What might the, the world look like if we understood those small and seemingly insignificant actions contained within them the possibility of the kingdom of God? What if we practice justice, even at great risk to ourselves? What might the world look like, Jesus keeps on asking us? And what might the world look like if we understood a great banquet where everybody was invited? No matter who you are or where you come from, your life experiences, you are invited here. What would happen if we formulated our lives, our world, around this idea of being invited to a banquet, that your name is on the guest list. The names of the poor and the disenfranchised, the forgotten, the ones that nobody loves, their names are on the guest list too. What might the world look like if we reimagined it in that sort of way? A place of abundance, where we don't have to hold on to and cling to what we have out of fear of scarcity, out of fear they're not being enough, but knowing that with God there is always, always more than enough. What might the world look like, Jesus asks us again and again. And one of the things that I love about this congregation is that it seems like every time we get together, we're engaged in that little act of reimagining of creating a space for every person, of understanding that whoever passes through those doors, their name is on the guest list. And they belong. They don't have to come here and just fit in, but they can bring who they are, their truest selves, and they belong. And they're here. It's this little act of reimagining. Every single week, we are engaged in that act of reimagining, that reimagining that Jesus called the kingdom of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.